Take your Bibles if you've got them or your, get on your apps on your phone and go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Let me just give you a disclaimer at the beginning. Um, this may be, if you're new or you're a guest, you may not recognize this. If you're um, part of our church family, you recognize this. My voice is not great today. Uh, that may have something to do with the fact that I uh, spent the week rooming with seven third, fourth, and fifth grade boys um, at church camp, center kid, and uh, we did not get the required amount of sleep. We're going to talk about God's rest today. It's uh, ironic that God chose this week to do that for us, um, but um, just know that I'm going to give you everything I got, but you may have to listen, and some words may not come out right, so... Uh, we'll go for it together, all right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Let me ask you a question as we get going today and as you're finding that. Um, what does it take for you or what do you require to get a good night's rest? What do you need? What do you require? What do you have to have to get a good night's rest? AC. AC. <laughs> Randy, what's your optimal temperature? Where do you like it? There we go. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? One thing about being in a room with seven uh, elementary age boys, they don't know what appropriate temperature is for the house. And so we were at 67 all week sleeping, all right? So AC, good job. Anybody else? What else you got to have? Quiet. All right, so how many of you are, you got to have complete quiet when you sleep? All right. How many of you are, you need some kind of noise machine or fan or something going? All right. It's crazy how generational it is. In the first service, it's like 90% nothing. Like a couple of people would sleep. Y'all are all, y'all got to have something going on in your life. Y'all are too busy people. All right. Um, so we got that. All right. So what else? You got, we got AC on. We got some, either quiet or some kind of noise. What else? Your favorite pillow. Does your favorite pillow have a name, Nick? I don't want to know. All right. Um, so favorite pillow. What else you got to have? No dogs. That seems very specific. All right. All right. Justin, what you got, man? A nightlight. What kind of nightlight do you have, Justin? Do you have a character nightlight or just a strain, just a straight nightlight? Okay, good. So nightlight for Justin. All right. Anybody else? What you got to have? A good mattress, right? You know, I read somewhere that we spend way less on mattresses than we should because we spend a third of our lives in them if we're doing it right. You ever thought about that? Okay, maybe not. I'm not a mattress salesman. I'm just telling you. All right. So here's the thing. As Americans, we're terrible at this thing called sleep. All the statistics, all the numbers show that we're not getting the amount of sleep that we need. And it's not just those of us that go to camp with a bunch of kids for the week. It's all of us are not getting the amount of sleep that we need. And so Americans have devised things that they need to help them relax at night, to get ready for bed at night. Maybe you identify with some of these, but here are some of the most popular things that people do to try to get a good night's sleep. First of all, and this actually happens earlier in the day, that they say if you exercise in the morning... It helps you to sleep better at night. Can I just say something about this picture? I have never had that big of a smile on my face when I've been running in my life. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? I know some of you here are runners. Praise be to God for you. All right. But I've never looked like that in that uh, 
when I'm running. So some people you exercise in the morning helps you get, you know, the day started well, helps you expend energy or you exercise at night. Um, for some people it's a relaxing warm bath with candles and aromatherapy all in the place, right? Which in my house with four kids, like, that doesn't, we don't do that, alright? And just, it's not gonna happen, alright? Some people it's a, a good book. You like to sit down and read. You know, you're trying to get, uh, calmed down by reading. For others, it's soothing music, and so you, you've got some music on that helps you to relax. Or for some of us, it's that good old late night snack, right? Like warm milk or just plain milk and cookies. You might have a late night snack. You might do that. All right, what's your late, what's your go-to late night snack? Anybody got a go-to? Peanut butter and jelly, all right? You know, research has shown, or at least I read it on the internet, so I know it's scientifically true, um, that before you go to bed at night, one thing that helps you to sleep through the night really well is to eat some sugar before you go to bed. I, I read it once on the internet and have applied it the rest of my life, all right? And so, some kind of late night snack. I mentioned earlier, whatever we're doing as Americans, we're not good at this thing called sleeping. Billions of dollars are spent every year on medical problems that partially or primarily result from lack of sleep. Some of the worst diseases and biggest issues in American health have been pointed back to sleep issues like heart disease and cancer and lung ailments and even cirrhosis of the livers. But it's also a big thing emotionally for people. Okay? emotionally, people that don't get enough sleep are not as healthy as those that do. It's not just that you're cranky, although that is true. It's that there's emotional health that has a problem. I saw this study this week, and it was crazy to me, that people that work, and so one of the main reasons people in our society don't get as much rest as they need to is because they work too much. People that work 11-hour days are 250% more likely to become depressed than those that work a normal eight-hour day. Now, what happens is we get in this cycle where we're not getting enough rest and we're working too much and then we're scheduling too many things for our families. And as a result, we get in this cycle where our families are destroyed by our lack of time together and our lack of rest. There's a uh, missionary in Africa that said that some of the African natives have a word for Americans It's in Swahili, and it's mazungu. And it means those people who spin around constantly. That we're always working and doing stuff. We live in a culture that's devalued rest. Because we want to work hard. We want to make our way. It's the way we provide for our families. And a lot of us, it's our identities. And yet, Scripture speaks often about the need for rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to talk about the rest of God today. And I know that sometimes when we talk about that, we are going to talk about the Sabbath a little bit. But sometimes people think we're going to talk about, hey, you've got to give a whole day of just resting. And we'll have a small discussion. But what I want you to see is that the rest of God is something more important and bigger than just not doing anything. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4 about what the rest of God really means for our lives. Now, we've been studying the book of Hebrews over the last... Uh, three weeks. It's our third week in the series. 
We're jumping ahead to Hebrews chapter 4. We skipped Hebrews 3. I'll tell you to go back and read it. It's where uh, Jesus is compared to Moses, who was considered the greatest deliverer, one of the greatest men of the Old Testament. And it's shown that Jesus is greater than Moses because instead of being a servant, he's the son of God. And instead of just serving in the house, he built the house, he designed the house. And so Jesus is better than that. And then when we get to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, it's going to play off of that a little bit more. But today I want us to ask the question, are we resting in God? Now the whole point of Hebrews that we talked about over the last few um, weeks is that Hebrews is written to a group of people that were wondering whether following Jesus was worth it. Whether they should give up on it or whether they should continue doing it. And the book of Hebrews gives two points that go throughout the entire book that we need to focus on and think about. And it's simply this, don't give up, Jesus is better. Don't give up, Jesus is better. These were Hebrew, Jewish people who had left the synagogue to follow Jesus. And they were experiencing persecution from people around them that weren't giving them jobs, from families that were ostracizing them, from people that were making fun of them because of who they were and what they were doing. Some of them were thinking, is it worth it? And the writer of Hebrews says, it is absolutely worth it. Don't give up. Jesus is better. And so what I want to do today is I want to read through the first few verses. In fact, the first 13 verses of chapter 4. And then we're going to stop and ask two questions. What is the rest of God? What does that mean? What are they talking about in this passage? And then secondly, how do we enter as it calls us to do? How do we enter into that rest. So Hebrews chapter 4 starting in verse 1. I'm just going to it's going to be on the screen but I'm just going to read through it really. I'll stop at a couple of points but we'll just kind of let the passage flow, all right? Verse 1. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. That's one of the places I'm going to stop because it's important to think about this for a second. Hebrews chapter 3 talks about the rest that God gave the people in the land and that Moses, although he was a great man and a great leader, that Moses had one big problem on his resume. That he did not deliver the people of God into the promised land. He didn't get to go. His generation didn't get to go. And so he says that generation made some mistakes, we're going to talk about those in a minute, that prevented them from entering into the rest of God. And he says at the very beginning of this, in fact, if you look at the original language, the first word is not therefore, the first words aren't since the promise to enter his rest remains. The first words is, let us fear that we have fallen short. Let us concern ourselves with the fact that we may have fallen short in following Jesus and entering into the rest. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you have been found to have fallen short. For we, just like they did, have received the good news. But the message they heard did not help them. Since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest. In keeping with what he has said. And this is quoting the Old Testament. In fact, it's quoting the passage I read out of Psalm 95. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Even though his works had been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from all his works. Again in that passage he says they will never enter my rest. Therefore since it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news did not enter it because of disobedience. He again specifies a certain day. Today. 
He specified, specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, just like most of Hebrews, I want to tell you that this passage of Scripture, those 13 verses, are densely packed with theological ideas and also with Old Testament allusions and quotes. In fact, he quotes... uh, Psalm 95, Genesis 1, and then alludes to several other places in the Old Testament. And the main theme that he has for this passage of Scripture, for you, for me, for the readers of that day, is don't neglect the decision you have about entering into the rest of God. You say, Pastor, that's great. I'm excited about that. I have no clue what the rest of God is. Like, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about when you talk about the rest of God? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, right? Because that's like the next point of the sermon, all right? And so we need to enter into the rest of God. And here's what I want you to know. He is specifically talking about four things. And this ain't going to be on the screen, but four things, four ideas when it comes to the rest of God. The first one is, and he speaks about creation, how God rested, and that was the foundation for us resting one day out of the week that was given at the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath holy. Now here's the crazy thing about that, just to be honest with you, alright? I don't believe, by the way, that on this side of cross, on the cross, on this side of Jesus, that it necessarily means that we have to have a day in our week when we do absolutely nothing but sit around, okay? I don't think that's what he means. I do think it means that we have to have in our lives this pattern of rest and recovery as God has intended for us to have. And here's what's crazy about that to me, all right? That it, it's one of the top ten, right? Like, where's the first place we hear, keep the Sabbath holy? Where is that? That's in the Ten Commandments. And what's interesting to me oftentimes is that many times people just dismiss that one as if, well, I know, I know we're too busy. I know we're not getting enough rest. I know we're not able to spend time like we should. But, but you know what? I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Think about those other nine commandments. What are those other nine would you say that about? I mean, you know, it's just been crazy lately. I know I've stolen several items. But, you know, I mean, we're, we're, I'm good in every other place, you know. Or, I, I mean, it's, I, I, I really, you know, I think I've got it together. I mean, yes, I'm sleeping with several women at the same time, but I've got my life together, really. Right? Nobody's going to say that. Well, if they do, they're not saying that openly in a church. Like, man, I'm just too busy lately. Like, we devalue rest. So the first thing you talking about is this rest of God is that into our lives has to be this pattern, this, this habit of spending time where we don't have every minute schedule, where we're able to enjoy each other's company, where it doesn't feel like we're running at all times, every direction to get things done until we collapse in the bed at night for our short night's sleep and get up the next morning and do it all again. 
But then he's also talking about the rest of God that God gave the people when they went into the promised land. Now what's interesting about that is he uses their lack of going into the promised land as a call to us. And so he's referenced in Numbers chapter 14 when what happens is the people of God are faced with a major decision. If you don't know biblical history, you haven't read it lately, Numbers 14 is where the people of God have walked through. They've seen God move in mighty ways. They've seen Him split the Red Sea. They've seen Him give the Ten Commandments. They've seen Him swallow up portions of who they are. They've had manna in the wilderness. They've had all these things happen. And they get to the edge of the promised land and God has told them, when you get there, just go in and I'll take care of everything. I'll mow people down. I'll take care of it. You can have the land. I'll get them out of your way. Just follow me and it'll be great. And so they get there and the people are like, um, we probably need to check it out first. Like, I know God told us that it's going to be okay. We'll just go in and take over and take control. God's promised us that. But you know what? Let's evaluate first. Let's, let's check it out. Aren't you glad churches don't do that today? Hey, you know what, God, I know you've called us to do this. And I know that it's the next step in our progression and the next place we need to go. But you know what? We're going to need a feasibility study about it. We're going to have to run the numbers 14 times to make sure it's going to work out okay. We trust you, Lord, but we want to check it out first. So they send the spies over. How many spies did they send? Those of you that know the story, how many did they send? Twelve, right? And twelve of them go over. They see the land. They come back. They give a report. And they give the report. And they start the report and say, it is just as God said. It's unbelievable. They call it a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. Now, here's the thing, all right? When they call it a land flowing with milk, what does that mean had to be there as well? Livestock, right? Like, milk doesn't naturally occur in nature. You never walked on a milk stream, although that would be amazing, all right? Like, you've never done that before. It has to have something that provides the milk. And so if there's milk, there's livestock. means a lot of livestock. And then there's honey. And for those of us in this room, like honey, some of us love honey. Some of you are like, I don't really like honey. But for them, it was the only thing they really had to sweeten stuff. It was amazing. And they come and go, it's just like it said. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. In fact, one of my favorite pictures in all the Bible is they come back carrying a, a vine of grapes over their shoulders. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to Publix and get some grapes, they don't need to be carried on my shoulders, all right? Here's some big grapes. They bring them back and they get the people jacked up. They're like, man, you're not going to believe this land. It's unbelievable. You got, I mean, milk, honey everywhere. You got fruit the size of this. And people are like, yeah. And then 10 of them say, but there's a problem. The people are bigger than the fruit. And we can't beat them. And there were two that said, God's promised he'll take care of it. Let's go. And before the people of God that day, a choice is given. Are you going to listen to the ten who are doubting the goodness and the greatness and the ability of God to do what he said he will do? Or are you going to follow the two that says, God said, we'll take it, let's go. And what did the Israelites choose? They chose the ten. Now listen, you are not this week, my guess is, going to be faced with a decision about whether to enter into a promised land or not. 
But daily we are faced with decisions about whether we're going to trust the word of God and what he's called us to do. Or we're going to trust what the world and our minds and our own fears and worries are telling us. And more times than not, I'm afraid that we as believers in Jesus Christ, just like the Israelites, follow the ten instead of the two. So he's talking about the rest that eventually came to the generation after. Because when those ten convinced the rest of them not to go, nobody from that generation except for Joshua and Caleb, the two that said we can take it, got to enter into the promised land because God said they're not going. So when you talk about the rest of God in this passage, he's talking first of all about that Sabbath day, that day of the week that is assigned for that. He's talking secondly about that time that we get to go, that enter into the promised land. But then he talks thirdly about the today that David mentions in Psalm 95. And this is where I really want to focus for a minute. Because the point he makes is that every generation of believers Every generation of people have a choice to make on a daily basis about whether they're going to follow the Lord or they're going to trust themselves. He says, why would David give a specific day like today if he didn't mean today? Now, over the last 10 years, we've learned that in Scripture, when the Bible says all, it means what? It means all. Well, when the Bible says today, you know what that word means? Today. Now. Here. And he says, the writer of Hebrews says, you have a decision to make. He basically is telling them, you need to fish or cut back. You need to get going or get away. Like, you got to make a decision. Are you going to follow Christ? Are you going to go after him? Are you going to pursue the life that he has called you to? Or are you going to live for yourself in a sermon? You want the safety and security that comes from not following him. Now, here's what we have to understand. The safety and security that might come from not following him is temporary and a lie. So he says, it stands before you today a chance to enter into his rest. So what does the rest look like for us today? What does he mean by that? Well, it's not just laying out, taking a nap, being asleep. Although I fully support all of those ideas, all right? I am a full-time nap supporter, okay? What he means is that we have peace and rest. For instance, we're at rest from our war with God. Say, wait a minute, I know we were at war with God. Well, Scripture makes it very clear that if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ who has accepted the salvation that comes only from him, then you are an enemy of God. Not because he wants you to be an enemy, but because you have chosen to sin and walk away from him. And God cannot have fellowship with sin. And scripture makes it clear that when you are not a part of his family, you are an enemy. Through Jesus Christ, through his salvation, through his blood on the cross, we are made right with him in that relationship. And our war with God has ceased. In fact, I think about Joshua 23.1. When the Israelites did get into the promised land, it says, And God gave the children of Israel rest from all their enemies and when we come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ when we enter into the rest of God that is there what we find ourselves is we are no longer at war with God we are now his sons and daughters we are part of his family and he is on our side and if our God is for us then who can be against us 
Secondly, not only are we no longer at war with God and so we're at rest from that, we're also at rest from our own works to secure and assure our salvation. You see, every religion in the world other than Christianity teaches that there's a certain list of rules, of do's and don'ts that you have to do in order to find salvation at the end of the road. But the truth is Christianity teaches that because of what Jesus Christ has done, we don't have to worry about the do's and the don'ts of religion. We're no longer engaged in grinding out religion day after day week after week, year after year. We no longer have to worry about the, the balance of scale of our good outweighs our evil. The truth is, it never will. And so we rest in the security and the assurance of Jesus. This week, I mentioned, I spent the week at Centricid Camps with uh, our young people. And, and uh, at the end of our service, Ellie's going to actually come and give you a, a quick report about that. And then don't miss next week. Don't miss next week. Um, next week is one of my favorite times of the year. We're going to do our um, end of summer celebration. We're going to talk about uh, the mission trips that we took this summer. Generate Camp, Center Kid Camp. We're here from Brazil. We're here from L.A. It's going to be a great service. It's always one of my favorite times of the year. We're going to do baptism um, in the midst of that service. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In this service, it's going to be family worship. So basically, we're going for like eight hours next week. All right? Um, no, we won't. But it's going to be a great, great service. You don't want to miss next week. But I'll just give you a, a small little report. Um, we had several of our young people at camp this week make a first-time decision to follow Jesus. It was awesome. I mean, awesome. When I say several, I mean several, right? And uh, you know the coolest thing about that for me? Is that I talked to some of them. I got to, I got to have the opportunity to, to, with one of them in particular, have that conversation and to hear that. Um, with others to be parts of the conversation or to be parts of the leading up or the celebration afterwards. One of the coolest things for me to think as those kids made those decisions, that as they gave their life to Jesus, they don't ever have to worry about what happens to them in the end. They don't ever have to worry about the sin in their lives. Because Jesus has washed it clean. I don't mean that they're not going to sin. And I don't mean that they don't have to repent. But I mean, it's done. It's over. Some of the greatest moments of my ministry at this church have been standing in that baptistry with three of my kids. Not because the baptistry waters did anything magical, but because I knew it was a validation of what they had already experienced in their lives, that Jesus had saved them. And it was done. I love it in Hebrews 4 because he says, entering into the rest of God means that we cease the work of our own. It's done. And because of that, we're at rest from our war with God. We're at rest from our own works and our own security. And we're at rest with our own anxiety and concern. We no longer have to have care or concern about our future or our destiny. It frees us to live boldly for the Lord, not worrying about what that may mean for us. Matthew 6, 25-34, Jesus says to them, Why are you worried about what you're wearing? The birds of the air, they're taken care of. Why are you worried? The field has flowers that are more beautiful than anything Solomon ever built or wore. Why are you worried? And then he asks that question that is rhetorical and True. How many of you ever added an extra day, an extra moment, an extra second to your life by worrying? 
And the point of that is that when we come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, it sets our minds at ease. If you want to substitute the word peace of God instead of rest of God, that may give a better picture for us. Because it means that we are completely in home with our Christ and what he's done. And so he talks about the Sabbath, that one day, entering the promised land that happened with the Israelites. He talks about today, but he also talks about the rest of God that is to come. And that means our eternal destiny is sealed. That one day there will be an ultimate rest that will happen from the toil and the labor and the works of our lives when we will be in the presence of our God. And it says that we will no longer need the Son because the glory of God will be there because He will dwell with His people. So how do we get there? How do we get into that rest? Three things and then we're done. First of all, we enter by faith. He says it's not enough to hear. He says the Israelites heard the message. They knew the message. They understood the message. He says to them, some of you in this room, when he's writing this letter to them, they heard the message. They knew the message. They understood the message. If he were speaking today, the writer of Hebrews, he would say to us that some of you in this room, the issue is not hearing the message. You've heard the message. You're hearing the message. You understand the message. You know the message. The question is not, have you heard it? The question is, do you believe it? Do you have faith in it? Do you trust it? And he tells us that the only appropriate response to the gospel message is faith, is trust, is saying yes. My life verse is Isaiah 26, 8. I've shared it with you many times. It says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait for you, for your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. And there is, we've talked about the fact that the first two words of that verse are, yes, Lord. And that no other word in front of Lord makes sense except yes, absolutely. Maybe doesn't, because then you're not calling him Lord. You're trying to do your own thing. No, definitely doesn't. Sometime, Lord, when everything works out, if it all comes together, Lord. And that this faith that we have is more than just intellectual agreement. It's more than just saying, I somehow believe that that is a true fact. It means that it has impacted our lives. It has changed our hearts. It has changed who we are. It is continually working in our lives to make us into people who are more like our Savior, more like Christ. That we're becoming more of who we were intended to be. That when you're saved, you are changed. And if in your life you do not see the gospel of Jesus Christ impacting you in any way, then you need to ask the question, have I been saved? Because saved people are changed people. And if you don't see any change, you don't see any difference, you don't see anything different than the people around you, then you have to ask the question, am I saved? That's what he's telling them. Make sure, be fearful that you have not missed it. And I'm afraid that we've got people in churches all across America that have sat, that have listened to sermons, that have sung songs, that have even walked an aisle, that have made dunked in the baptistry, but it wasn't real to them. They didn't make a decision and it didn't change their lives. They did it out of social, cultural, family norms. And in the midst of that, what is happening is they have not truly been changed. We enter by faith. Scripture makes it clear the only requirement to enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is life-altering faith. By faith you have been saved, not of works, through grace. So nobody boasts about it. We enter by faith. Secondly, we enter with urgency. 
It's something you don't put off, you don't delay, you don't think about. You don't say, I'll put that down the road a long time from now. We get that because he repeats the word today, today, today. He again specifies a certain day, now, today. Speaking through David, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Not tomorrow, not next week. We're not given any promises of that, but today. We are to live with urgency. And that's the problem with our culture and the busyness that it causes us to. Because when we are spinning around in all directions all the times, we have lost an understanding of the urgency with which we must live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a world that is desperate to hear the gospel. And if you're in this room and you're not dead, which I hope is all of us, right? Okay, I don't know if anybody's dead in here yet. If you're not dead, you're not done when it comes to following Christ and speaking for Him. Sometimes it changes. You know one of the important lessons I learned at Century Kid this last week? I am not as young as I used to be. Okay, because we had, as a part of our um, orange team adult leadership, we had two people that are 15 years younger than me. We had three people that were 15 plus younger than me. And I just realized my body isn't made to run around with third, fourth, and fifth graders in 100 degree heat for five days in a row. It rebelled this weekend. That's why my voice sounds like it does. Like, what in the world were you doing to me? Right? And you know what Ellie and Vincent Thomas were doing? Running around in 100 degree heat five days in a row, acting like nothing was affecting them. In fact, you know what Ellie did on like the second night? She ran a mile with the kids after doing that stuff all day. Because one of the kids said, hey, Miss Ellie, you want to run a mile with me? I said, there's a simple answer to that question. No. All right. David Lyles. Now, let me just throw out David Lyles. David Lyles, 100 degree day, track times outside. At the end of track times, the schedule program, they have like an hour and a half of hang time. You can do whatever you want to do. David chose two days in a row for hang time to do hustle time, which was a mile plus run. Nuts. That's what that is. All right. And then he went and asked Ellie that night, hey, will you run with me now? And Ellie said, yes. I said, if you ever want to know how much Ellie loves our kids, she literally went the extra mile for them this week. Kevin and I, Kevin, who was with me, commiserating about how old we're getting, right? We just commented on the fact that Vincent's only 15 years younger than us, but... It doesn't appear that way. Like he is just running with energy. And so I've determined that my life is changing. And so I know that's what happens. I don't like it though, all right? I heard that in the back. You won't amen, but you'll comment on me. All right? But here's the truth. What I'm able to do or called to do may change slightly, but the essence of it is the same. I am to trust and the goodness and the greatness of God. And to speak boldly on his behalf to a world that is in need. It may look different, but it's the same idea. And I need to do that with urgency. At the Southern Baptist Convention this year, and we'll show you this video sometimes. It's a powerful video, but I'm going to tell you about it now. 
Southern Baptist Convention this year, we, um, they showed a video of, I don't really know what it was, but the International Mission Board showed it. And it showed it started off with a pastor saying he just loves going and researching and talking about this into the archives. And so you think, okay, we'll see what happens. And he goes, and then it shows a young pastor that's going to meet him to uh, learn some things. And I get to the archives of the International Mission Board in Richmond, Virginia. And suddenly you realize, as he starts to tell these stories, that the researcher is telling the stories of the men and women who have lost their lives on the mission field with the International Mission Board. And as they end it, they kind of pan out from them, and you realize they're standing at a wall that has all the names of those who have died in service of the Lord while on the field with the International Mission Board. And I just remember being convicted about the amount of urgency that I have in sharing the gospel with people. If you're not dead, you're not done. And there is an urgency that must come. And then lastly, we enter by obeying the word. He gives this great picture of the word of God. And the point there is, he keeps talking about if God speaks and you hear, if God speaks and you hear, don't harden your heart. He quotes that in chapter 3. We read it in Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And he said, well, how do we know God's speaking to us? And it tells us in verse 12 that he speaks to us through the word. Now, that word, I think, has two meanings there. One is the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, incarnate son of God, who gave his life for you and me, who rose again from the grave, and who calls us to repentance and to follow him. I think that is the word of God, as in the logos of God from John chapter 1. But I think it also means the word that is spoken by God through the prophets, through his writers, through the apostles, and through Jesus that we find recorded for us in the Bible. It is the place we hear about the word of God, Jesus, is the word of God that we have before us. And what he's saying to us is, when you hear God speak through the word, do not neglect it, do not ignore it, but do everything you can to follow it. And so my question for you today as we close is simply this. How have you responded today? Now, there are some of you in this room, and in a room this size, this has to be true. All the statistics tell me it has to be true. That there are some of you in this room today that have never made a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not that you haven't heard it. Maybe you haven't understood it completely, but you've heard it. You've never done that. And the Lord would say, today, when you hear the Word of God, do not harden your heart. Today is the most important decision you ever had to make. Whether or not you're going to believe in Jesus and follow him. Or whether you're going to believe in what the world tells you and not. Some of you in this room need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior for the very first time. I'd love to talk to you in just a moment right down front if that's you. Some of you in this group, you need to respond today because you've done that. And you just need to come and say, hey, I've never really told the church that. Or I want the church to know that. Or I want to take a step and get baptized. I want to talk to you about baptism next week. I'd love to have a conversation with you right down here. But here's the thing about following Jesus. We get the opportunity for those of us in this room that have accepted Christ, that have been baptized, that have joined the church, that have been here, that are part of this place. We have the opportunity every day to decide whether we're going to listen to the ten or follow the two. Today, if you hear the word of the Lord, do not harden your heart. 
Are you going to follow Him? As Jeff said earlier, are there things in your life you need to let go of, you need to get rid of today? Are there relationships in your life that you realize are not leading you down the path that you need to go and you need to reevaluate them today? Is there a relationship in your life that God's called you to, that you've committed to, and you realize you haven't been living in a way that is honoring to that relationship and you need to change what you're doing today? Are there things at work that are going on that you need to handle? You need to act differently. You need to handle in a different way. And you realize that you've been waiting. You've been putting it off. You've been thinking about it. But today is the day. Are there sins in your life that are habitual in nature that just keep coming back? And you realize you got to get rid of them today. What's the Lord calling you to do today? Let's pray together.